Hello and welcome to UX Like Us, the podcast for user experience designers, researchers, strategists, and light bulb repairmen. <laughs> I'm your user experience light bulb repairman, Roman Burkott. Joining me as always is Larry King. Larry, how's it going? How many light bulbs do you estimate you've changed in your, in your lifetime, Roman? <laughs> you know, funny, we were just having a conversation about this. When they changed the light bulb formats, I had to go through the house and change them all because you can't have mixed and match light bulbs. It's a, it's a terrible experience. So then we had, you know, like a uh, hundred bulbs laying around and like, yeah, this is so much better for the environment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I always, I always cringe a little bit when I roll into, you know, the in-laws house and they've got a light fixture with like three different color light bulbs in it and on <laughs> purpose, right? Like one's like the 37K, one's a 5K, one's a 4 whatever, you know, and it's like savages. Yeah. It's like. Do you not see that? <laughs> Do you not see that? Well, I was just uh, comforted to to know I'm not the only one that's uh, picky about it. Yeah, we're very picky about the, the the light color in here. And there's like certain rooms, like most of the house, we got the what is it? It's 2700. It's like the the the, the soft white, the indoor, like it's like 27k. But there's also some applications, like for instance, when I'm doing my my guitar repair and 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 finishing and things like that it's better to have like a more neutral color, like a 5k, because then you get more natural colors and you can see colors better. Um, so I noticed that even in our bathrooms, like the, the vanity lights are like the, 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 the cooler color, mm -hmm, more neutral mm -hmm. light. So they're like probably the, the, the 5k ones as opposed to the 2700 Ks. And then, so of course, one of those goes out and I just moved to a new house and I don't have that light bulb. And so I'm like, my wife's asking me to replace it. So I put one in there and yeah, of course it's the wrong color. <laughs> so I am living, I, I'm now just as bad as the animals. You're living in a nightmare of mixed matched light bulb color temperatures. Ah, oh. man. Gosh, designers are a bunch of whiners. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, speaking of designers, how many designers does it take to screw in a light bulb? Uh, well, I, it depends. <laughs> exactly. It depends. <laughs> At least that's what the designer is going to tell you. Uh, our our go-to line. It depends. So True. Why, why, did, why are the designers always saying depends? Like, you know, it depends. Somebody asked them a question that says it depends. Why do we do that? What, what's, what's going on there, Roman? Well, I would like to think that, uh, there's a good reason for that, that designers as part of our approach to, to design, at least a, a good design approach would be to like zoom out, step back from the problem, really consider all of the inputs and variables, really try to arrive at like, what's the context of the situation. And then from there, formulate an opinion. Yep. That, that sounds about right. It sounds like designers I know. Yeah. So it, it, it's true. The answer to any question depends on the context. Absolutely. I think the issue is that it makes us seem like spineless weenies when we're talking to our, <laughs> <laughs> our stakeholders, our bosses, executives, especially executives, right? Because as the name implies there, 
an executive, at least a lot of the executives I've worked with, they think that they get paid to have opinions, strong opinions, and to be instantly decisive about stuff. I'm an executive. Mm-hmm. I have to be decisive. You're familiar with the DISC profile, right? You've got the Ds that are like the, the I can't remember what actually they all stand for, um, but you have D, I, S, and C, and the Ds are like the, the mm-hmm. dominant alpha people that like make decisions. And the Cs, like myself, are the people that analyze and analyze and analyze and analyze <laughs> and analyze and analyze, right? So, so that, that's a sort of a, a personality type to like really analyze and, and, and avoid making a decision based, based upon the overanalyst. Whereas like a D, it's almost like, you know, you heard of ready, aim, fire, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. And so like the D is like fire. <laughs> and, and then the, the C is like ready, aim, aim, <laughs> aim, aim. So yeah, that's a, a good point. There, there's a certain amount of personality mixed up in that equation as well. It's not strictly a matter of the discipline that we take, right? Absolutely. 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 Well, I'm going to go out on a limb though and say that designers need to quit saying it depends. Why, why, why do you say that? Well, another important part of career success is to project confidence. I already know that I'll, I'll end up contradicting myself because I'm not a fan of the ultra bravado, fake it till you make it kind of approach to business success. But nevertheless, when you have such a hard time arriving at a a decision, particularly when it's something relatively trivial, like I said, I I think it makes us look like weenies and uh, it it can undermine others' confidence in your ability and your, your judgment and your leadership. So what's the alternative then? So if you were saying that, you know, looking like a weenie and and saying it depends, um, has all those negative connotations, then, you know, what, what's the alternative then? What, like, what, what do you do? You just make a decision based upon no context or do you wait till there's the appropriate context or do you make a plan to get the appropriate context to make the decision? Or do you just make the decision with the context that you have currently? Well, it depends. (laughs) <laughs> how did you not see that one coming Spineless, <laughs> tell you no, those are those are all uh valid options right if you have the goal of being more decisive then part of that that journey that growth is of course going to have to include uh learning judgment about when to be decisive so having an understanding of the impact that the the decision is likely to play. But I I think there are, you know, a few steps you can take towards being more decisive. So, you know, the first thing you have to consider is that not deciding is in itself a decision. And I mean that in two different ways. But that, that, that's a, that's a rush lyric. It's it's free will. The song's free will. It's like, if you choose not to decide, you still have made a choice. Wow. Wow. And that Neil Peart, he was a, he was a, a lyrical genius. <laughs> yes. Rock song. It may be, it's uh, it's true. Right. So, uh, but I, I mean that in two different ways that if you don't answer a question that's been posed to you, then you have ultimately answered. So if you, if you answer it vaguely, or if you abstain from giving any answer at all, 
then you you have made a decision not to really you know weigh in. So that's a decision in itself. But then there's also the affirmative version of that, which is choosing not to make a choice on the spot. So like I was saying at the beginning there, you have to have some judgment about, is this a decision that needs to be made right now? Is this a decision that can be made without all the context that I need? If you're feeling like this is uh, not the appropriate time to weigh in or that you need some time to think, recognize that it's an option. You can say, hey, I, I'm not ready to, to weigh in on this right now. Depending on the audience, that may or may not go over well, <laughs> but it's an option and uh, we should consciously choose it sometimes. Well, I think presenting it that way sounds a whole lot better than just saying, well, you know, it depends. And then starting to throw out a bunch of different situations that are maybe sometimes arbitrary or maybe even unlikely, or maybe just excuses not to make a decision right now. But when you say, you know, recognize that it's okay to not make a decision now and say, Hey, we, we need more context and let's go figure out what that additional context that we need to figure out is um, before we make a decision. If, you know, that decision is not something that needs to be a, a timely thing right now. And then if you are in a situation where, you know, the executive says, nope, we, we, we we're, we're, we're out of time. We have to make a decision on this right now because we're in this situation that, that is forcing the, our hand on this. Then you just kind of have to take the context that you currently have and, and, and run with it. So it's, it really depends <laughs> on how urgent that, decision needs to be right now. Right. If you were to say, I need more time to think about this, to get the context and all that. And it's somebody higher up the food chain than you. And they say, nope, you got to tell me right now, then okay. But at least there's the understanding that you've <laughs> made the decision under duress. And maybe with incomplete information, yeah, yeah. but then the other sort of side of that is, is the decision something that can be reversed later? if needed, presented with new context, right? Or is that something that we're locked into? And what are the risks involved with making a decision without all the context? And, you know, and part of that risk calculation is, can it be changed in the, in the, in the future? Or is there going to be big business impacts because we make this decision and we're wrong and we did it without the context? You know, all those things are things that need to be sort of considered when you're doing that, or at least recognize and say, hey, we got to make a decision now, but here are all the risks in doing mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. right now and, and make, making sure those risks are explicit. And given that this is generally speaking a, a user experience design audience, we're talking about designing software and particularly web-based software. More times than not, it's okay to make a wrong choice. In fact, no matter how hard you try to make a right choice, after you launch your product, you will find out that you have made some wrong choices. <laughs> I mean, that's just the name <laughs> of the game. So yeah, it's uh, barring something that has really super serious consequences. More often than not, it, it's okay to be wrong. You just need to kind of do the calculus on that ahead of time, right? I think it depends on how agile your organization is to go ahead and do something different when we've decided, when we figured out that we did something wrong. Right. Cause I see a lot of times in organizations that I've been in where 
man, you better like do a lot of analysis up front because this thing that you are going to deliver, whether we like it or not, is going to live for five years. <laughs> and so, yeah. and, 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 and that the reason is, is because we're in an environment where we're in, you know, feature factory mm -hmm. mode, we're just putting out features, 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 and we never continuously improve old things that we've done. And so if you're in that kind of environment, then that's one of the risks you could, you, you need to raise when you're just like, well, we got to make a decision about this software thing right now without it, the, the context that you, Mr. Designer are requiring to make this decision. One of the risks is, well, this organization also has a history of not continuously improving things. So if we, if we launch this thing now, this is what it's going to be for a very, very long time. And we have to be okay with that. I've worked in a lot of organizations where it's one and done. You get one shot at this and then yep. the developers are moving on to something else and you will never in your lifetime get a chance to, to iterate, to tweak, to fix it. So yeah, it makes every decision feel like it's uh, the end of the world because in all fairness, you're not going to get another chance at it. So I think this is actually a learned behavior from designers because they've been putting this situation enough times where they want to overanalyze everything because they know that that's going to live in, in front of some user's face for the whole time that they use that product, even <laughs> though, you know, we, we might find out later that it's terrible. Or it was a good first start, but we needed to iterate on it to continually make it, you know, better as, as the the users change over time, as the 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 problems that they're tackling change over time. All that stuff is sort of relevant, and you know, we we us designers have that learned instinct to really overanalyze it so that we get it right because we know we're not going to be ever ever is it. When you're a designer talking to a designer, I think this is more acceptable, but I think a lot of times we're just kind of verbally thinking through the variations. So you've asked me a question. I don't have any context as to the question. So now I'm starting to think through, well, okay, so it depends on, you know, who the user is and what they're trying to accomplish. And is this going to be on mobile and, you know, so on and so on and so on. And so I think a lot of that is even just verbally expressing that thought process it's an attempt to make sense of the situation. Uh, but again, it, it can come off as being noncommittal or, or indecisive. So I think one tip would be to try, you know, instead of starting with, it depends, asking some, some curious questions that help you get the context that you want. So rather than volunteering through all the different things that we need to think through, Instead, just asking it and in the form of a question to try to gather the context you need so that once you've got that information, you could say, oh, here's my opinion. Maybe we, we're in a position where we don't have all the context we need because we haven't been setting up that context systematically for ourselves in our practice over time. Like, for instance, having really well-defined personas and mm -hmm, customer journeys mm -hmm. and like even having a, a a coherent strategy from the business to be able to follow right because right. a lot of these depend it depends questions stem back to hey maybe we have questions about what the strategy actually is or the strategy is not very clear and we've not been able to nail it down in a way that we we don't have to have these context questions or maybe us as a ux design practice hasn't set up the the proper design standards that sort of are the guardrails for some of the context that we would need to do that. Like for instance, you know, I would talk about personas who are target um, audiences, 
but also, you know, what is our, what are our design standards? You know, what, what do we know based upon the, the context that we've already gathered about what our customers need and what are those, you know, those principles by which we you know, make design decisions and things like that. So it could be, you know, a deficiency on the business side, not having clear strategy, or it could be a deficiency on the, the design practice side, not establishing a lot of context that we need to work with, work within every single day so that we don't have to always ask these, these it depends questions on things. It's a, it's a really good point that we have to uh, shape the path ahead of time so that when it comes time to start making decisions, you've already got some of the context that, frankly speaking, as a designer, nobody else is going to just, you know, hand you well thought out personas and, you know, design principles. Your, your design practice needs to create those things. Part of that is, is finding the time on a proactive basis to say the time that we're going to invest in this now is going to pay dividends down the road. If we have uh, design principles, if we have a clearly articulated strategy, you know, we've got two personas. Do we value Francine more than we uh, value Sue Ellen? (laughs) You know, having some of that stuff uh, established ahead of time that, you know, well, we know that this persona is driving 80% of our business or something along those lines, it it would be very helpful into later on just saying, oh yeah, we're, we're definitely going to optimize for this user or for this outcome. Yep. And I think that's, um, you know, one of the reasons why proactive generative research is so important because it's like, that's in that case, we're constantly building context that we need to be able to make these decisions. And we are gathering this information, but also turning them into insights that are available to, you know, designers and product managers and other, you know, business stakeholders to be able to say, hey, you know, we have this question, what context do we already have? Well, we can go back to this, this catalog of research insights that we can search on and find past research that we've done and insights gleaned from that research that are a part of that context that we need to gather. And so, Again, I think there's there's a couple of different reasons why we ask it depends. It's 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 the practice, not you know, gathering the context proactively that it needs to be able to make decisions at that moment in time, or it's the business not making that strategy clear and not so that we don't know the rubric by which we should make that decision, you know, from a strategy point of view. So another bit of advice, and I said I was gonna contradict myself. Another bit of advice is just trust your gut. So if you're trying to be more decisive. Sometimes you will, in fact, need to trust your instincts. So keeping in mind that you, that that instinct that you that you have is the result of the millions of tiny little experiences that you've accumulated throughout your career. Honestly, even if you're just a shiny new designer fresh out of a boot camp, right? If you're the designer, you officially know more about design than other players on the team, you know, your, your developers, your product managers, they might have a differing opinion than that, <laughs> but. Oh yeah. Tell, 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 the, tell that to those, those guys who have an opinion on everything design. Well, it happens theoretically. It does. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> We've gotten anonymous confessions. And design is an interesting, an interesting profession in that everybody has an opinion on it, right? Like mm-hmm. everybody doesn't have an opinion about the database schema everybody doesn't have a opinion about the the system architecture except for the the architects and maybe some developers but when it comes to design every single person 
<laughs> that team has has an opinion about it. And that's one of the things that it's, it, it, it's hard for designers to sort of push back. It's like, well, aren't we the experts on that? And, you know, that sort of goes back to that, like, well, guess what? Everybody is in charge of design because everybody can make decisions that, you know, affect it. And so, you know, you, that's, you know, why we, I recommend changing the frame of designers to be facilitators of design rather than just the designers themselves. A lot of the times, depending on, depending on the context, it depends. It does depend. But honestly, yeah, you should look at that as a gift, right? The opportunity where people are deferring to you as the designer to make a decision, sometimes even beyond the scope of the design, right? Like even just uh, somewhat uh, business strategy or what what should the product be? If people are deferring to you on that, then sometimes you are going to need to just trust your instincts and yep. uh, go with your gut. I wish that that particular bit of advice had more concrete, you know, when to do that, when not to do that. But I, I guess I would just say that sometimes you just don't have a choice, right? Sometimes you're put on the spot or sometimes there's a, a theoretical question that maybe you could go spend six months doing research to try to find out. And that's probably not going to necessarily get you any closer to a well-reasoned opinion. And then, so in cases like that, I, I think that it's okay for you to just speak up and say, here's what I think, right? And especially if you're being transparent that, that it is an opinion rather than uh, a fact, I think it's, it's okay to do that. So like I said, I, it's not the same thing as all the, you know, bully advice to, you know, just, yeah, you know, just go for it. Fake it till you make it be tough, be decisive. Uh, it, it's more reasoned than that, but Sometimes there are intangibles that should factor into your decision. If you're a designer and you get put in the position, it's like, hey, just make a decision. Like somebody's trusting you to do that. that that's actually a good thing, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And you should take that, you know, advantage if 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 you think it. Obviously, <laughs> because it depends. Um, and in that situation, <laughs> if you do get into a situation where it's like you got to make a decision now and you got to go with your gut trust your gut and just go with it and, and say, Hey, that's, that's, that's what we had to do at, at, at the, at the time that we had to make that decision. So, yeah, no, I'm, I'm good with trusting your gut. And I've, um, I think my gut has told me good things over the years because like there's some things where it's like, even when you have a lot of information, the, the data that you have isn't conclusive. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, the data you could have can go multiple ways. And there's still a lot of unknowns about, you know, after making that decision and the, the the things that play out afterwards, that could go differently than what you imagined. And so you you in those cases you just have to you do have to trust your gut and hopefully the the hopefully you get dealt the 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 full house or the, the royal flush and not the aces high. <laughs> <laughs> whatever whatever poker analogy works there. <laughs> insert sports analogy here <laughs> I, I, it kind of went into like a, even a, an iron maiden um, analogy but that's right oh i see this high song gonna work Sorry. in all of we've our got, so we've got russian music. here we've got iron maiden just got one more band to, to, to work into this content roman stay tuned joe <laughs> <laughs> you know, if if it helps you to trust your gut recognize that also that it is okay to be wrong you'll only be costing the company time and money and customers and potentially lose your job. 
those are the extremes, right? Like it's usually not that bad. Usually these consequences aren't that extreme. So as much as, you know, we like to thoughtful, uh, thoughtful, careful, considerate people like to whip ourselves into a froth over like, oh, I got to make the right decision. Again, there's a reason that best practice in product development is to iterate. It's to allow us to be wrong and to course correct quickly. And so sometimes you're going to be wrong, no matter how hard you try to be right. So do your best, but sometimes that's not going to work out in your favor. <laughs> yeah, and a lot of times the 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 consequences of being wrong that are in front of you right now and you make a decision and you're wrong and it doesn't turn out that bad. Uh, probably too much. Like I take it a little too far and that's just kind of how my brain works and I've had to learn how to like kind of squash that down a little bit. <laughs> but I, I think that's a, that's a sort of a, a, a skill that people who are, have tendencies towards that, which I do, sort of need to work on, right? It's like, hey, you know, I, I recognize when, oh, that's just my brain going off and, and, and you know, sort of doom scrolling into my, <laughs> um, into my psyche and reckon, being able to recognize that and, 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 and ignore it as much as you can and just do what needs to be done, which is kind of, you know, make the decision and, and be okay if you're wrong, because typically all that, that doom scenarios that are going on in your head aren't, aren't, aren't really going to happen, right? Right, right. The best advice I've gotten in this area is go ahead and say, what is the absolute worst case scenario? Like what could go wrong? And then try to get an estimate on how likely is that outcome? So we've talked in previous episodes about like, oh, if you're designing part of a spacecraft that's going to be launched into space, chances are that that's not a component that you can afford to fail, right? That the worst case scenario is significant. <laughs> but given that this is generally, like I said, you know, we're talking mostly about user experience. Most of the time, those kinds of consequences aren't going to come up. And even, even a bad outcome isn't going to be a half a trillion dollar error. Although <laughs> we, <laughs> there's a bank that has recently learned this lesson the hard way. <laughs> uh, yeah. Due to bad interface design, allegedly. <laughs> right. <laughs> we won't go into that in too much depth because I want to, I, I think we should do an episode about that one. I think probably people like me who have a bit of the uh, imposter syndrome can ha have some troubles in that area. But what about, what if you suffer from the Dunning-Kruger effect? You know, I'm much less familiar with Dunning-Kruger than I am the imposter syndrome. <laughs> oh, Dunning-Kruger, that's the, it's basically the exact opposite, or what I like to call blowhard syndrome, Oof. where you overestimate your abilities constantly and make decisions based upon that. You don't want to have the, the false bravado or for that matter, you don't want to have the actual bravado that is, oh, I think I know everything about everything. If you've ever had the the displeasure of working with such a person, you know just how how awful it is. So I have. <laughs> name him and shame him. <laughs> I will name no names of this podcast, but yeah. I have. 
Yeah, that's one of the things that holds us back from uh, being more more confident is the the fear of being that guy, that guy that thinks they know everything about design and everything about engineering and everything about business, and you know, it's just it's just the blowhard. There's a, a ton of resources on the web, just articles about how to be more decisive. And preparing for the show, I read quite a few and they were garbage. They were all garbage because it boiled down to stuff like just fake it till you make it and embrace uncertainty. And, you know, that awful dread you feel waking up in the morning and going to work. That's a good thing. (laughs) No, no, it's not. That's not healthy. (laughs) It means you're in a dysfunctional situation and you're just dealing with it. No. I did find one article, though, that I would recommend. It's uh, from entrepreneur.com. It's called 11 Ways Emotionally Intelligent People Overcome Uncertainty. And I think that's a real good read because it, it overlaps nicely with what we're talking about here is ways that people who are wired to be emotionally intelligent or, or trying to be emotionally intelligent can uh, lean into the uncertainty without becoming just a total menace. Yeah, you should put that in the show notes. I'd like to actually read that. That sounds that sounds good. All right, so I think we've tackled uh, the the ways to be more decisive, but I think it all boils down to stop saying it depends. Just you're gonna have to take that one out of your vocabulary. At the beginning, I was just like, ah, oh, yeah, nah, we're not gonna get rid of that. It's, it it makes too much sense, but I think. There's a lot of ways to preemptively get around having to ask that, say that statement and, and, and say it depends and sort of hedge and realize that you're throwing out a bunch of hypotheticals isn't really useful mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. being proactive about building context constantly so that you don't get into that situation, making sure we have clear strategy so that the depends isn't based upon an incoherent um, business needs. And being able to change the frame when you do have to ask it depends by just asking questions and trying to build the context in the moment that you might not have and may not they may not realize you have. And I think that's a that's a that's a good strategy as well. Trusting your gut. I think yeah, it's sometimes that it has to happen and you need to be able to get to the point where you're 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 comfortable doing that when you need to. Um I think this is all good stuff and I think I I, I at the beginning I was not a believer that's like oh yeah, depend it depends is such a bad thing, but I think uh there's there's really ways around it and 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 more better strategies to sort of deal with that um in the in the in your in your practice in the business and and in the way that you um, approach these situations where you don't have perfect context. Yeah, that's well said. We certainly wouldn't encourage designers or really anybody to move away from that mindset of taking into account the context and really understanding the details and doing their best to make an informed decision rather than just shooting from the hip all the time. <laughs> We just, we want you to step away from the things that are potentially undermining your credibility with the people that you work with. All right. Well, if you found this show useful, usable, and desirable, then please share a quick review on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts, because the reviews are what help people find us. And remember that UX Like Us is your podcast. Follow us on Twitter at UX Like Us and let us know who you'd like to hear on the show and what you're talking about in your practice. So I'm Larry King at LA King and Roman is at Stuberman. And thanks for listening.